Hello and welcome to the Anishinaabe History Podcast. I'm Chris Waite. Today we're going back in time to the late 1400s and we're going to the east coast of Turtle Island. This is the area of Wabanaki. Now Wabanaki basically means dawn land. Waban means light or you can see dawn. Aki means the land. So Wabanaki means the dawn land. And this is on the east coast of what is now Canada and northeastern USA in Maine, New Brunswick, that sort of area. And the people here have a long, long history that goes back to the time of when the Vikings first came. Before Columbus first discovered, quote-unquote, North America in 1492, Vikings had come to Vinland hundreds of years before. There was some interaction between Vikings and the East Coast people, what I'm referring to as the Wabanaki. But there's a lot of different people that live in that land. Maliseet, Passamaquoddy, Wallastakot, Mi'kmaq. So there's a long history there. And part of that history is the confederations that the people there made. There has been there for a long time the Wabanaki Confederacy. In 1497, Venetian explorer Giovanni Caboto, also known as John Cabot, landed on the east coast of Canada. That year, he kidnapped and enslaved Mi'kmaq people, three Mi'kmaq people, and took them back to England. He wanted to show that the land where he went to across the ocean was inhabited by people. So he kidnapped Mi'kmaq people, three Mi'kmaq people, and took them back to England. So John Cabot was able to go back to Wabanaki in 1498. But the people, they weren't happy on his return. They attacked his ships. And John Cabot and much of his crew died before making it back to England. Only one of his ships ever returned. In the year 1500, a Portuguese explorer reached Wabanaki. He enslaved about 57 people, and he sold them in Europe to finance his trip. By 1504, people from France were fishing off the coast of Nova Scotia, and in the early 1500s, more people would arrive to kidnap people from the surrounding area. In the 1500s, European explorers were looking for a northwest passage to Asia. The east coast of Turtle Island was one of the stops along the way to investigating the many islands and bays between the east coast and the west coast on the north coast of Turtle Island. So some explorers, when they stopped in the east coast, would kidnap people as slaves to sell, to finance the trip, or to make a quick buck. By the late 1500s, North American furs were making their way into Europe, and this was becoming more and more prevalent as an economic engine. In the early 1600s, the French were becoming prominent in Northeast North America. This is why Samuel de Champlain is taught in Canadian schools. Many settlements were made in what is now Quebec at that time, and the Jesuits were also coming in to do their missionary work. In the early 1600s, was when the pilgrims were arriving in North America as well. Some of those colonists, led by John Smith, actually destroyed a Jesuit missionary and took captives from there, one of them known as Squanto, back to Europe as slaves. 
between 1607 and 1619, there was war and disease. At the end of 1619, the indigenous population of that area was reduced by between 70 to 95 percent. After such destruction of indigenous people, the pilgrims were able to move into areas that had been inhabited but were now depopulated. In the late 1600s, there was more war. And it was around this time that the various indigenous nations of the Wabanaki area decided to unite in a confederacy of defense for their people and their land. This is known as the Wabanaki Confederacy. This confederacy existed from 1680 until it was forcefully disbanded by the Canadian government in about 1861. But in the last few years, the confederacy has been reignited. There is a Passamaquoddy wampum record that tells about what happened at the Kahnawaga Council that led to the formation of the Wabanaki Confederacy. I'm quoting from Wikipedia. Quote, Silently they sat for seven days. Every day no one spoke. That was called, The Wigwam is Silent. Every counselor had to think about what he was going to say when they made the laws. All of them thought about how the fighting could be stopped. Next, they opened up the wigwam. It was now called, Every One of Them Talks. And during that time, they began their council. When all had finished talking, they decided to make a great fence. And in addition, they put in the center a great wigwam within the fence. And also they made a whip and placed it with their father. Then whoever disobeyed him would be whipped. Whichever of his children was within the fence, all of them had to obey him. And he always had to kindle their great fire so that it would not burn out. This is where the wampum laws originated. That fence was the confederacy agreement. There would be no arguing with one another again. They had to live like brothers and sisters who had the same parent. And their parent, he was the great chief at Kahnawaga. And the fence and the whip were the wampum laws. Whoever disobeyed them, the tribes together had to watch him. End quote. Linguistically, the Wabanaki, people of the Wabanaki area are Algonquin. They're Elgic-speaking people, which is the same parent language group of the Ojibwe and the Anishinaabe people. So all these people, these different confederacies, the Wabanaki Confederacy and the Three Fires Confederacy, have the same linguistic roots. Far in our past, we came from the same place. And that's reflected in these confederacies when we refer to each other as brothers. Older brother, younger brother. These are forms of respect. The idea of these confederacies was to maintain respectful autonomy so that we could live our lives in freedom without the fear of oppression. At the time that the Wabanaki Confederacy was formed, enslavement and war were very real to the people living there, the Wabanaki people, all the people that lived in that area. Nowadays, oppression comes in a different form. Environmental racism is one thing. Pipelines, fracking, these are other things. The fisheries, that's another thing. All of these conflicts have been going on for many centuries. And part of the problem isn't that native people get special treatment. It's the fact that respect isn't given to indigenous peoples, nor is treaty history taught properly at any level 
within the academic system. We have politicians and CEOs and judges who don't know anything about Canadian history or about the laws that actually exist upon Turtle Island. What's the answer to conflict? Understanding. And the route to understanding is knowledge. And these are the things that we need for truth and reconciliation, not only in Canada, but around the world. That's all for today's episode. Stay tuned for more episodes in the future. I'm Chris Waite, and this has been the Anishinaabe History Podcast.